All right, Jeremy, what do you have today? Christian nationalism. Ah, I have a Tucker update. I have, we're going in depth on Sudan. You're going you're gonna to understand the Sudan situation by the end of this. And Iran seized an oil tanker, so good stuff. You ready? Yeah. Okay, people, let's begin. Lift off! We have lift off! Get up, everybody! Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast. I'm documentary filmmaker and podcaster Andrew Marcus, and with me always, as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's cultural narrative in our image is documentary filmmaker, podcaster, the one and only rebel pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Did you get a different applause? That's a different audience in the studio every week. What are you talking about? Yeah, that I didn't that one didn't sound as Ladies and gentlemen, give it give it up for Jeremy Siegel again. He needs to hear the applause. Sounded like the same applause. It's the same audience. <laughs> I don't know. They don't sound as excited as as usual. <laughs> you sound as excited as usual. <laughs> Jeremy, how was your week? Good. Very productive week. Um, it must have been. I didn't hear families. from you once between our pop-up and now. I've been cutting trees down. Ah, playing lumberjack. Kids are feeling better. Well, very good. Executive producer Anne is feeling better. Things are getting a little bit back to normal, so everything's good. Well, very good. How about you? Uh, how about me? Dodging I had, carjackers and bullets this I had week. A, I had a very good week. Uh, I I, I uh, helped prepare for the show in a different way than you did. Uh, cutting down trees, I was collecting clips. Good. <laughs> I've been Jeremy. I've been trying. I to had rep- a lot of time to think about the show while I was cutting down trees. <laughs> contemplating the show's going to be better for it by the way that's really your main contribution jeremy i bring the clips you bring the brain i like it it's a good division of labor i'm okay with that (laughs) Uh, look before we do anything i want to play a clip real quick this came from uh Big D and AZ. And I want to play this clip real fast because I hadn't collected this myself. I don't I don't even really have a comment to make about the clip. Big D and AZ is has been such an amazing producer, citizen uh, sponsor of this program, sending content, uh, making me aware of things that that I couldn't possibly be aware of as I'm 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 you know buried up to my neck in what I'm trying to research and put together. That people contributing in this way is so valuable. 
And I want to reward that by playing this clip that he sent in right off the top. This is brought to you by Big DNA Z, and it is RFK Jr. dragging Fauci across the coals with a little bit of truth. And that's the other reason I wanted to play it, because this is the Truth Bait podcast. And when somebody uses truth to dismantle somebody, it's it's right up our alley. Thank you very much. It also Big means DNA-Z. they're a Nazi. Who's the Nazi? The truth. Uh, RFK Jr. Anybody in this using case? the truth. Yeah. Anybody that uses the truth. All right. Zeke Kyle, here we go. You know, the United States had um, the worst record of any country in the world and how we managed COVID. It's hard to understand why Anthony Fauci is still a hero. We have 4.2% of the global population and we had 16% of the COVID deaths. So that's not a good record. We had a death rate of about 3,000 people per million population from COVID. And if you look at the countries that were using ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, Nigeria had 14 people per million, one two hundredth of ours. And you can say, well, those are young populations and COVID is a disease of the old, which is true. But the oldest population in the world is Japan, which also allowed access to hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And their death rate was one tenth of ours. You go around the world and there's such a direct, clear correlation and the studies are so clear. There were a lot of Americans who died who should not have died. And uh, probably around 650,000, according to Harvey Reich and the other biostatisticians who have looked at um, the... uh, the studies, which are clear, the studies show consistently over 100 studies that 85% of the people um, who died should not have died because they were denied early um, treatment. And so I think that's a really important um, issue to address directly. And then, of course, the origins of the virus, a Wuhan lab and the cover-up of that, you know, should be addressed. Uh, but I think the censorship is the most important thing. If you don't have censorship, if you have, you know, uh, the press doing its job, these things would not have happened. Big DNA Z. I agree with you. That was an important clip for people to hear. Uh, he's he's absolutely right. What can you say? It stands. It, it speaks for itself. And it's that's what this show is. What? What's that? <clears throat> it's interesting. I listening to that. I. I start having flashbacks of COVID and, you know, one point in there, cause it's, it seems to me, if you look back, there were, there were the whole ivermectin hydroxychloroquine thing almost seemed like it was set up as an, a part of the uh, attack. But what he mentions is, is just the denial of early treatment because I, I think that was that was probably the biggest player in all of it is people weren't getting treated. So you think he's in just injecting way. the, that narrative back into the, into the mix, the, the hydroxy. And the, I'm not sure he's no, I don't think he is. That is I definitely think the he, most and cynical way to look at it. You may be right. You usually no, are. That is it's, <laughs> no, I didn't it's not that, that I think he's in, it's not that I think he's injecting it back in there, but I think like, I think he's, I think he's going to be really differentiating himself from Trump with all of this. And Trump had Fauci working under him, See, right? See, the way to differentiate, though, would be 
is is more that vaccine route and the shutdown route. Uh, Trump was very much in favor of all the all the treatments. That he was he was equally shut down on that route. So if he's pushing that, that seems to be a Trump allied position to take. Maybe. Well, look, maybe big, big DNA. I think the jury's still out on whether or not those work. Didn't you? Didn't you try any of those? I took. I it, tried. I, I, I took. took hydro- hydro- I took. I'm sorry. I, I took uh, uh, ivermectin. And it didn't work for me, but that could have been a number of reasons. I may have started it too late. It was compounded by a private pharmacy that you know was the only pharmacy that I could find that could get me anything called ivermectin. I have no idea how it was compounded. For all I know, I was taking uh, uh, fairy dust. I don't know. I don't know what I was taking. Other people have anecdotally said they took it and it and it worked for them. Um, Right. I, I, I took hydroxychloroquine. I took hydroxychloroquine. Right I felt like I got better right away. But, but executive producer Anne almost died until she just got oxygen, regular oxygen. And no one's talking, no one ever talks about actually getting giving people with pneumonia oxygen, yeah, which on. has always Jeremy, been a treatment for people with you pneumonia. You are so sidetracked. You're sideways on this issue. All right. What, what, what he's saying is is that there needs to be an accountability for the fact that we had the worst record during COVID. He, you can get hung up on the ivermectin thing if you want, but, but he still at the bottom line has this gigantic stat where we have uh, a lower population, but the highest mortality rate. And there's probably X number of reasons why that is. And he is going, he's driving to the hoop with it, which good, somebody should. I think it's because we don't have uh, fully instituted socialized medicine. <laughs> well, that may be what he's got hidden up his sleeve. I don't know. Big DNAZ, thank you for sending it in. The, the point I want to make is that this is your show. If you are a citizen producer, if you are a contributor to this show, this is what can happen. You can send me something and tell me this is absolutely important to me. I need you to pl- please play this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna play it. I'm gonna find a way to play it. And I, it's not always gonna be at the front of the show. It may not always be like you know the same you know week you send it to me. But it's important to us. Your contributions are important to us, and I want you to know that. Uh, and despite what Jeremy thinks, I thought it was a very good clip. Thank you for sending. <laughs> Thank you for sending. I didn't say it was a bad clip. It was a good clip. <laughs> Jeremy, you, I heard you say that this was a waste of time. Why did I play it? Did yeah, the audience big hear D that? go away? Don't listen anymore. <laughs> Don't send us anything. That clip was terrible. <laughs> uh, okay, Jeremy. We have, there, this was a a news packed week, and we have a lot of stuff. There's there is, you know, probably the least important is the Tucker follow up, which is not that long. It's it's brief, and I I wouldn't have even covered it at all except that he said something that then was almost instantly proven true. Uh, and that that caught my fancy. But the Sudan, uh, and I want to right up front thank Janice in Arizona uh, for sending in a whole bunch of content on Sudan, which I happened to have been, I, you know, I had pretty much from the end of the pop-up to now, I have been digging into Sudan because I don't understand Sudan. I don't, I haven't had uh, a background of knowledge to draw on to understand what is happening there. I think I'm probably not alone in that. Most uh, uh, Americans who have benefited greatly from our uh, news and education institutions are not aware of the background information of what leads up to now and what 
our interests might be, what other people's interests might be, and I'm I'm bringing that to you today. And uh, and I, I again, I want to say thank you to Janice in Arizona for helping by sending some content in. So we have Sudan, which is really a World War Three update, um, and it's an education. You're gonna people are gonna want to hear it, and uh, and we have Tucker. So. Newsworthy stuff that we can't push off. What do you What do you think you want to hear first? You want to get Tucker out of the way? Uh, definitely. Okay. I'm going to pull up Tucker right now. So as everybody knows, Tucker was fired. Everyone was hair on fire. We talked about it all in the previous episode. How could episode. they do that? How could they fire him? Don't Doesn't Fox News know all their viewers like him? It's almost like they don't have that in the equation, <laughs> Jeremy. You know, funny. Didn't what were they thinking? Didn't Facebook know that they were losing their conservative customers? Didn't Twitter know? All these companies know that they're that they're ditching this market. They know it. It's just the conservatives that haven't realized yet. Corporate America so what did has he moved say? on. Um. Well, first of all, I want to thank our executive producer, Anne in Wisconsin. She sent in a tweet that was very interesting, very illuminating, because, you know, we spent the last episode trying to understand why he was fired that way. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that I posited was... I he, didn't I didn't spend the episode trying to understand. Oh, I understood I, it fine. No, I'm not sure you did. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, what we were aiming at was that he had, you know, really attacked some of the main pillars of corporate advertising, uh, uh, big banks, big pharma, big military, which are all owned uh, largely or uh, the biggest institutional investors in, in all of these sectors are BlackRock and Vanguard. And uh, they also happen to be the biggest institutional investors in the media. And especially in, they own uh, now 15% of News Corp. So this tweet was interesting. Uh, prior, <clears throat> prior, let's see, Tucker Carlson's prior $1.6 million per month contract has as much as 18 months remaining. Fox CEO Lachlan Murdoch, Lachlan uh, and Carlson were in the middle of negotiating an extension through 2029 when the Murdochs decided to bench him instead. They don't want Tucker going anywhere, and they're going to force him to sit on the bench for months as they recover from his departure. And that just led me to think, well, did someone at BlackRock just buy out Tucker's contract to keep him benched through most of the election? 18 months will put him at October. Of 24. Can he not go somewhere else? Is that, is that no, the I don't deal? think he can without breaking the contract and giving up the $1.6 per month. We're about to learn about Tucker Carlson. Is he going to keep quiet and take the $1.6? Or is he going to break that and go work somewhere else? And there's some question. There must be some flexibility in terms of what he can do because he did make a public comment. He posted a video uh, and he did it from, I think what is the, you know, he does that. He has like a daytime show. I don't know what it's called. Uh, and he has I a set, but I, I, that he must have access to that set. It must not be. It Fox's looks like a set. sauna. 
Right. It looks it, like a sauna without right. the steam. <laughs> and and you can tell like he does, he's not mic'd properly. He's not lit properly. Clearly the professionals have left the room and we are now just left with Tucker. And by the way, oh, I have to ring this bell every time I say by the way and hoping hoping I can annoy myself uh, without annoying the listeners away. Um uh, he, I like him better this way. I think I like him better without, he's not worried about ratings. He is now just giving the absolute raw truth. And here, here's the comment that he made. The undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. So I thought that was a pretty good clip. Um, and but I, like I said, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have run it, frankly, because you know, I mean, I think we covered it last week and or uh, on uh, Tuesday. Or did we cover it in the pop-up? Was it on Tuesday or was it on... When did we cover it? Uh, I don't remember. It must have been <laughs> Tuesday because it was, wasn't it just this week? That They're it all blending together, Monday? but we did it Tuesday and Wednesday. Anyway, uh, uh, but then this happened, which I think essentially proves his point, which he's saying that we no longer are getting the truth because of this marriage between corporate and government and the media is corporate so the corporate media and the government and along comes this you see democracy requires that the press is able to ask the people in power questions but when the people in power know what the questions will be it means they can formulate their answers to dance out of the reality of the question and we learn that at an event involving the south korean president that Joe Biden, according to the New York Post, well, they, he had some notes with him. The notes literally told him who was going to ask the question, and when you look at the notes, they even said what the question would be. That was uh, Sky News' Paul Murray. Did you see that story? Have you seen the image? I think I did, yeah. It's, I've, I, no, I, not closely. I saw the headline, but it's nothing new, is it? Oh, it is. It's not new for Biden. What is new is how blatantly it was exposed, which kind of gets my you know tinfoil hat going. Where I'm wondering, did they did they make it obvious to turn it into a, a narrative that uh, people would be focused on? Because um, it really is. It, 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 either they did this on purpose, or these guys are just. Uh, don't care anymore. <laughs> I think. Now, why would I they think do it's meant it on to show purpose? how inept he is. I think it's meant to show that he has no no capacity left. Uh, why do they want to do that? Uh, and let me read uh, the card. Reads it's got the name of the of the uh, reporter from the L.A. Times, Courtney Sabramian, and it has the phonetic spelling of Sabramian. Sabramian. Sabrain. Sabrain. No, and I can't do it. Subramanian. Subramanian. And like me, he was not able to say it either. (laughs) I think he was smarter than me. He didn't even try. Um, But then 
Corinne Jean-Pierre, KJ, KJP, the proud black lesbian White House press secretary, reassures, reassures us all that this is all completely normal. The LA Times said that their reporter did not submit any questions in advance of yesterday's press conference. So to people who saw that pocket card, can you explain how that ended up there and why the president needed something like that? So just to, just to step back, and I'm actually glad you asked that question. I'm stopping right there for a second. I'm actually glad you asked that question. It translates loosely into, I wish you would die. <laughs> Please die and go away. <laughs> uh, we always, our job is to get a sense of uh, what you all want to ask him. That is our job here, to get a sense of what's uh, the, the, the news of the day, uh, the topics you all are interested uh, for, for to ask uh, of him. And so that he, that we are all, not just him, we are all prepared uh, to take that seriously. So that is how the question end up, ended up on the card is because they are that, they can predict, they're so in tune to each reporter that they can predict exactly what's going to be asked. They're fortune tellers. Makes perfect here. sense. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then she drops this gigantic, blatant, gaslighting lie. Look, we, we do not have specific questions in advance. That's not something that we do. And in fact, I would point out the questions that was asked was different uh, than what was on the card that uh, you all saw. No, it wasn't. Did she, say the, did she say the questions that was asked? Oh, I don't know. Oh, hey, do not. What are you doing? Are you are you These attacking are just the her cultural yeah. way of speaking? Look, we yeah. we do not have yeah. specific questions in advance. That's not something that we do. And in fact, I would point out the questions that was asked was different. Yeah, I think it, it, she the said questions the questions that was, that was asked, asked uh, because the reporter asked a two part question. The second part went to the president of South Korea. So she hmm. probably had in her mind that there were two questions asked, but there was only one that was relevant to to what we're talking about here. Uh, because Biden didn't have uh, uh, the uh, the other <laughs> question on his card. He didn't have the, the questions for the South Korean president on his card. Um, so let's go back and let's go back and, and listen to the question. And I'm going to re- let me read you what's on the card. And the card's obscure. You don't see everything on the card, but here's what you do see. Quote, how are you squaring your domestic priorities like reshoring semiconductors manufacturing with alliance-based foreign policy? So now listen to the question. First question is from Courtney of the Los Angeles Times. <laughs> the first question is from Courtney of the Los Angeles Times. First question is from Courtney of the Los Angeles Times. Thank you, Mr. President. Your top economic priority has been to build up U.S. domestic manufacturing in competition with China. But your rules against expanding chip manufacturing in China is hurting South Korean companies that rely heavily on Beijing. Are you damaging a key ally in the competition with China to help your domestic politics ahead of the election? That is, while it's not word for word, that is the question. Again, on the card was, how are you squaring your domestic priorities, like reshoring semiconductors manufacturing, with alliance-based foreign policy? And the question she asks is, your top economic priority, so that's priorities, okay? 
your top economic priority, and then the question, how are you squaring your domestic priorities? Your top economic economic priority has been to build up U.S. domestic manufacturing in competition with China. So there's there in the in the on the card it mentions manufacturing. Here she is mentioning manufacturing, but your rules against expanding chip manufacturing. Okay, there we are. Now we've got semiconductors, which are exactly what was on the card. Uh, your rules against expanding chip manufacturing in China is hurting South Korean companies. Uh, ah, oh, who are they? Oh, they would be allies, wouldn't they? Alliance-based foreign policy, which is on the card. Uh, uh, your, your policy is hurting South Korean companies that rely heavily on Beijing. Are you damaging a key ally? Ally, alliance. God, that's another connection. Uh, in the competition with China to help your domestic politics ahead of the election. Um, it's without being the exact wording, it is the same question. It is a lie, fundamentally a lie for her to claim that, that that wasn't the same question that, I mean, it was so close. Let's, let's take her at her word that that was, that that was just as a result of them being so prepped. Wait a minute. You can't, you can't read the question on the card and listen to that question being asked and realize that. That's not the questions that was asked. <laughs> I think that was the questions that was asked. <laughs> I guess all I'm saying is if you, again, let's take her at her word. All right, I'm not going to read her mind. Let's take her at her word. They don't receive questions in advance. Uh, and this is all prep work. They just, they're that good, Jeremy. I mean, that's some top-level clairvoyance. Well, she should... Would it make sense? Maybe, maybe, maybe she was telling... What did she say? She said, we don't take the questions ahead of time. No, they probably get general topics. You know, encapsulate what you're going to ask in a general topic. They have some but she way. said something like they we they don't give us the questions ahead of time. Right, no, right? They, that's that right. The saying? White House gives them the questions. Right. That's what I'm going to say. Like, perhaps, perhaps they send the questions to the reporters and say, we're going to call on you. This is what you get to ask. All all I'm saying is, (laughs) excuse me, Uh, I see a career for uh, KGP, uh, KJP after she's done at the White House, a a psychic hotline. The the black lesbian press secretary psychic hotline. Answering all the questions you didn't even know you had. She's going to get a co-host show with Peppermint Patty over at MSNBC. Oh, yeah, that's right. The redhead. Yeah, so that's Tucker. That is Tucker. The Tucker follow-up. Wow, you transitioned like out of Tucker. I was I already forgot about Tucker. We were talking about her. Uh, and, and it was all it was all connected. The only reason I got into her at all was because th- th- this fell right on the heels of Tucker's comment about how we don't get big stories anymore. We don't get the truth anymore because of this marriage between corporate media and the government. And boom, here you see the marriage written out on a note card for you. And then she just blatantly Tucker was lies part of it. it. What's that? Tucker must have been part of it. That's right. He was <laughs> signaling. Do it now. Do it now. He's setting up for this whole thing to happen. Uh, all right. Should we move on to Sudan? 
Yeah, what's going? That's in Africa, right? Uh, it is in the Horn of Africa, and it is really right on the border, the tension zone between Arab Africa on the north and uh, uh, African Africa, <laughs> Black Africa on, to the south. Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, well, actual Africa, I think, is probably the better way to put it. Um, I mean, talk about talk about a situation where uh, long-standing colonialism aren't the Arabs uh, in Africa through colonialism aren't aren't uh, Muslims aren't the isn't the Muslim community mostly the result of Arab colonialism in Africa that was they were converting people you either converted or you became a slave and were sold to the West or to other tribes is that right yeah. Anyway, so there's a lot of interesting tension there. And that was about, you know, you've heard about this whole Sudan story, yes? Just uh, all I really have heard is that they, didn't they shut down our embassy? We evacuated. We left 16,000 Americans uh, stranded there. Uh, but do you, you understand that there is what appears to be a civil war happening right now? I saw a picture on a website of a building smoking. Yes. Did you hear the story about the the bio lab that the that the Russians took over or somebody took over? The not the Russians, the the uh the S, the RSF which I will teach you about shortly. I have not. There so were, you there get were to panicked teach headlines. me and the audience at the same time. There were panicked headlines about uh that that this bio lab uh, had been taken over. The World Health Organization uh, was was panicked uh, that, that that you know some dangerous biologic would be released, and then it went through conservative media. Uh, uh, you know, what are we doing with another biolab uh, in a dangerous country? And uh, <clears throat> what people have mixed up is that there are two different countries. There's Sudan. And there's South Sudan. Now, South Sudan used to be a part of Sudan, and then there was a civil war, and the and South Sudan came into being, and and that is populated by uh, mostly uh, African Christians, and Sudan is mostly the African and Arab Muslims. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pardon me. I had to duck out there to clear my throat. Um, it's very dry in Sudan. Uh, so. People were freaking out that that this lab had been taken over and the CDC is funding this lab. But what is happening is, yes, a lab in Sudan was taken over. We do not fund that lab in Sudan that was taken over. We used to, and we'll get into that as well. You're going to learn about that, Jeremy and our audience. Uh, but the lab that was taken over in Sudan is not the same as the lab that we currently fund in South Sudan. And I saw a lot of media out there mixing those up, and I wanted to clear that up for our audience right off the top so that they are armed with the truth as they are uh, understanding this subject. So um, again, thank you to Janice in Arizona for sending in a bunch of content on this that was very valuable. And let me give a bit of background here. On the surface, you know, the news that everybody's following and the violence that's erupted uh, is the result of a power struggle between the two top military leaders who together run the dictatorship of Sudan. And one of the generals, it's General Abdel Fattah Buran. And he's the, 
you know, so-called president. He's the general of the Sudanese army, the regular army. And then the, on the other side, you have General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo. And he was the leader of the Janjaweed. Do you remember the Janjaweed when they were in the news? Yeah, wasn't that uh, the group that the Muhammad Dagdawala was leading? Yes, he led that group. Yeah, you just heard me tell you about it. <laughs> the the <laughs> the uh, uh, the Janjaweed were in the news uh, in the I want to say late nineties. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, it was around. Uh, Oh, what year? I have to look up the year that the that South Sudan. It was when South Sudan gained its independence, and it was the civil war. It was the Sudan civil war, uh, and the the Janjaweed were basically contracted by the previous dictatorship uh, run by Omar al Bashir uh, to put down the rebels. And obviously, what ended up happening was that the the rebels ended up with their own state in South Sudan, and that's their own. Country, it's a different country than Sudan. So you have these two generals, uh, and uh, just to you know back it out a little bit further. Um, in 2019, longtime dictator Omar al Bashir was deposed in a coup led by these two generals. Okay, that was in 2019. He's out, and after the coup. They established a so-called transitional council made up of military and civilian leaders. And the stated goal was, you know, it was a transitioning council it was going to transition to a civilian-led democracy. Kumbaya, everybody. And basically this was... That's I think, also known as Marxism. <laughs> well... Uh, if it had transitioned just to a civilian-led government, then then no. But yes, as a as a mixture of the two, yes. Uh, the the uh, I think this was set up by the CIA, and the reason that I feel like it was set up by the CIA is that the second that well, look. They set it up to create a front. You have these two generals, these two that are co-military dictators, and they needed a front organization, which definitely is. That's, that's the Marxist move. You're correct. And once they had that, uh, they started interacting with the United States and with Israel. That's when several years ago you saw Sudan normalize ties with Israel. Um, and we'll get, we'll get more into that. Uh, but eventually the facade fell, and in 2021, the two Sudanese generals scuttled the transition council and just solidified the military rule. So now it's just a total Marxist dictatorship, um, an Islamist Marxist dictatorship. And, uh, and that's when things started to go south for the partnership between these two generals. Uh, General uh, Baran, the president, began essentially double-crossing Hamdan by reinstalling members of the previous Bashir government, uh, who they had just deposed two years earlier. So think about that. Your your partner in the deposing of the previous leader is now starting to bring in members from the previous regime. So he felt he felt pretty alienated in that in that moment. 
So here's a clip from uh, an Indian uh, YouTuber, Amit Sengupta. And he just gives a, a bit of uh, useful background on these two generals. On the left-hand side, he's General Abidil Fateh al-Burhan, who is the general of the Sudanese army. And he's also the de facto ruler of Sudan, or you can call him the president. On the right-hand side, Muhammad Hamdan Dagalo is also a general, but he's one rank junior to Abidil Fateh al-Burhan. So basically, he's the vice president. So basically, what is happening in Sudan is that the Sudanese army chief, General Abidil Fateh al-Burhan, is now in a battle with his second-in-command, General Muhammad Hamdan Dagalo. So these are the two characters who have turned against each other and they are fighting for power. Okay, so everybody on the same page here. Was that a was that a real guy or yeah, chat yeah, that's GBT real voice. with a Sudanese accent? This is this is all real. These are all real voices. No, uh, okay, no computer today or AI. AI yeah. No AI. Uh, and now here, so so you you understand so far. You now you have these two generals. You understand that they came to power in a coup. That they had set up this uh, transitional council, and then they scuttled it. Now, here's here's mm-hmm. a little bit of information about how the two of them came to be partners. In 2019, President Omar al-Bashir, he made Abidil Fatah al-Burhan Inspector General of the Sudanese Army. And then two months later, General Abidil Fatah al-Burhan, along with his Deputy General Muhammad Hamdan Dagalo, who was also his partner, they overthrew President Omar al-Bashir and General Burhan got the top job and he became the President of Sudan on April 11, 2019. Now, how did Muhammad Hamdan Dagalo come into this picture? General Abidel Fatah al-Burhan in 2015 was commanding Sudanese troops in Yemen as part of Saudi-led coalition force who were fighting against the Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. It was during that time both of them worked closely. Abidel Fatah al-Burhan was part of the Sudanese army. And Muhammad Hamadan Dagalo was head of the RSF. So, uh, Yemen. The reason I was ringing the bell is because of Yemen. And I want people to keep Yemen in the back of their minds. We're going to be coming back around to Yemen, and it's important. So now, let me take you to another clip from Amit Sengupta, where he gives you some background information on the formation of the Transitional Sovereignty Council and what went down there. After becoming the president, General Burhan solidified Sudan's ties with global powers and regional players, including the United States and Israel. Now think about it. If Sudan had to form relationships with countries like the United States and Israel, these are all democratic countries, right? So they have to look democratic, right? They cannot go and speak to the United States and say, hey, look, we are from the Sudanese military and we organized a coup and overthrew our government. So what they did was in August 2019, they formed a body called the Transitional Sovereignty Council, TSC, which is going to be the federal government that is going to run Sudan. So basically, TSC is a multi-partisan body that is a coalition of both civil political groups and the military junta, that is group of military leaders. And immediately after its creation, General Burhan, the chairman of TSC, met United States Secretary Mike Pompey in Khartoum. Then in December 2019, General Burhan was invited to the United States by President Trump. The United States has invited the head of Sudan's Sovereign Council, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, to Washington as the two countries forge stronger bilateral ties following decades of hostility. 
So all these international whining and dining went on till October 2021, when General Burhan and his deputy Dagalo both orchestrated a coup against all the civilian political groups that were part of the TSC. And now after the 2021 coup, General Burhan started reinstating individuals who were previously associated with Omar al-Bashir's regime. This is where Dagalo felt that Omar al-Bashir's people will never fully trust him. And that is true, because the first time, that is in 2019, Dagalo betrayed them. Another thing that you need to understand is that, if you look at the Sudanese politics, it has always been dominated by an elite group of people who largely came from ethnic groups that are based around the region of Khartoum and the river Nile. If you look at Dagalo, he comes from Darfur in the west, which is a rural area. The Sudanese political elite often talked about him and his soldiers, that is RSF, in derogatory terms. They used to call them country bumpkins, unfit to rule the state. How familiar does that sound? <laughs> you have a you have a, a power struggle here that, in part, is a it's class warfare. You have the elites represented by Buran. Uh, and the country bumpkins <laughs> represented by the Janjaweed. So that might be part of what's going on here. I, I don't think it's the reason, but I think it informs it. Um, so, and the reason that I played those clips, I think that gives you right there a better background information than anything you're going to get in any American media at all. You now probably, after listening to that, are are more knowledgeable about Sudan than you've ever been. Do you feel more knowledgeable? I feel like it. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, I feel like I know everything. No, almost, what is, I'm so, going to get you there. I'm going to get you to knowing So what's everything. the media saying? What's that? It's Trump's fault. It's uh, Trump's fault. No, but it, but it is interesting that essentially that at one point, Buran was our guy, was Trump's guy was part of what they were attempting to do in uh, expanding the normalization of Israel and in securing Sudan strategically. Because what you're about to, you know, here, I'm about to take you through, you're going to see how strategic it is uh, and, and how we ended up here. So uh, here is... Uh, uh, DW News. I want to. I want to use this to widen out a little bit and start to look at neighboring countries and what their interests might be. Now that you understand who the who the players are in country, let's take a look at some outside influences. First up, Egypt. Sudan's northern neighbor is itself under military rule. It has deep ties to Sudan's army, commanded by General Abdel Fattah Berhan, one of the two sides in this war. This is Berhan meeting Egypt's President al-Sisi late last year. But Egypt's position is difficult. It depends heavily on investment from the United Arab Emirates, the next regional heavyweight. And the Emirates are known to support the other side in this war, Sudan's Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, led by General Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, better known as Hamedi. Besides Egypt and the United Arab Emirates, powerful Saudi Arabia has also sought to shape events inside Sudan. The Saudis have links to both sides, which could make them very influential. Which makes this sound like an uphill climb for Buran. His biggest ally is in Egypt, and Egypt depends heavily on the UAE, and the UAE supports the Janjaweed. 
It's, it's very tricky politics in this region. Moscow has sought to use Sudan as a gateway to the rest of Africa. This was Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov visiting Khartoum in February. The Russians are hoping to build a naval base at Port Sudan to give them strategic access to the Red Sea. So the Russians are looking to build a base. And they're meeting with Buran. And in fact, they got the base. They got the agreement that they wanted. So think about the journey here. You went from being in... Uh, they are uh, working with the United States, creating a facade of legitimacy so that they can be in the U.S.'s orbit. They're normalizing with Israel. It would seem to be strategic progress. And now all of that's gone. All of that's reversed. And I'm going to tell you why it's all reversed. But let's let's th- this just let's think about what is happening right now in Sudan in the context of what you now have just heard that the Russians wanted to open a base there, and not just any base. It was a nuke, a, su- a nuclear submarine base uh, right there in. Uh, uh, it's the Red Sea right there. It's the Mediterranean. It, it is, uh, I'm sorry, it's the, the, the Red Sea right there is uh, right by the Horn of Africa where you have, and this clip is going to tell you, just the sheer volume of goods and trade that come through this stretch of water. And that's what makes it such a critical, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Strategic, thank you, strategic location, Sudan. The region at Africa's eastern tip borders the Red Sea. The water body connects Asia to Europe through the Suez Canal. 10% of global trade passes through this region. For Europe, the stakes are higher. Nearly 40% of its trade crosses the Red Sea. The United States, China, France, Italy, Turkey and Japan already have a foreign naval presence here. But there is a new player on the block now. Yes, Russia. Russia will soon have its first base at the strategic waterway. A Russian base is expected to come up in Sudan. The Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was in Sudan last week, and this is what Lavrov said about the naval pact. Regarding the agreement on the establishment of a logistical support point for the Russian Federation Navy, it has been signed and is in the process of ratification, as you know. So what exactly does the new pact entail? Russia will set up a naval base in Sudan. It could base up to 300 Russian troops at this base and get hosting rights for its nuclear warships. In return, Moscow will supply the insurgency-torn nation with weapons. Moscow has pledged support to Sudan at the UN because Sudan faces an international weapons embargo. How are they going to supply weapons? Aren't they they're running out of weapons in, in the Ukraine? This can't be possible. Yeah, they're getting destroyed. And plus, they're going to have this May offensive that we told right. them about. Right, they better be stocking up. destroy them. Yeah. They don't know about that May offensive, though. It's a secret. Shh, 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 shh. Oh. You have to whisper it like Ray Epps would uh, whisper it in his friend's ear. <laughs> there's a, there's, a, there's <laughs> an offensive. That's not what we're here for. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. The Russians aren't our enemy. Don't its international it. funds have also been confiscated after the 2021 coup. The repercussions were felt in Africa. The U.S. has warned Sudan of further isolation if it agrees to host a Russian base. In fact, here's what the American ambassador to Sudan, John Godfrey, said last September. I quote, 
All countries have a sovereign right to decide which other countries to partner with, but these choices have consequences, of course. Lavrov wasn't the only one visiting Sudan last week. There were also envoys from the United States, the United Kingdom, France and several other foreign governments. And what was their message to Sudan school leaders? They want a democratic civilian government to be reinstated ASAP. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain in just a minute how they went from being in our orbit to now making this deal with Russia, which they obviously ignored our threat and maybe paying the price for it. Uh, and, and what did we do to go try and, and, and sway them, to woo them? I'm sure that we offered them cash, but then we offered them a whole bunch of lectures on what we wanted them to do, all the conditions that they had to meet. And what is Russia offering? Well, they're offering to pay a huge sum of money for the base, and they're offering to provide them arms. Boy, that's a tough call. That's a really tough call. What do you do? I think you go with the lectures and the virtue signaling. Uh, Here is a YouTube channel called The Macro Story. I love this guy's voice. Uh, he, he's not, he hasn't fallen for it either. He's calling it out. United States basically gives a warning that Sudan should not allow Russia to build a base in Red Sea. Sudan allows Russia to build a base. Within eight days, there is a civil war spark. And within two months, uh, the civil war actually starts. Now with the civil unrest in Sudan... It is highly unlikely that Russia would be able to establish its naval base anytime soon. In in fact, China has a naval base in Djibouti. And it is alleged that the proposed Russian base in Red Sea at Sudan would kind of connect China and Russia to Mediterranean Sea. And in case of a conflict in future, it will give China and Russia an edge. And this is something that United States obviously does not want. And it will go to any extent to stop this, even if it means sparking a civil unrest in a poor country like Sudan. We have seen that before in Africa, Middle East and even in Europe. Regime change specialists from United States work round the clock to dethrone any government that doesn't toe the line of United States. Or I would rather say follow the rules-based order. Sounds about right. We get to play a little game of scruples, everybody. Everybody in America, game of scruples. Uh, is it okay that there are dying Africans as long as we prevent the strategic loss of allowing that base to be there? Game of scruples. Here is, you know, Larry Johnson, he writes at Gateway Pundit, or he contributes there. I don't know if he mm-hmm. writes there if they just they pick up his column. He's a former he CIA, like a CIA agent. guy. Yeah. Former Which, CIA, yeah, if there current, is such a thing. I call those current CIA agents. <laughs> right. We're not saying he's a spook, but we are saying he's a little spooky. That's scary. Uh, here is Larry Johnson on the Kim Iverson show. Oh, um, there's suspicion that this uh, infighting that's going on in Sudan reeks of CIA involvement. Maybe you could kind of give us some background information on the CIA's involvement in in Sudan, the history in Sudan. Um, I'm hearing uh, chatter going both ways. I hear some saying it's CIA, 
Others saying it's not, that this is this has been going on for a while in Sudan, that this has nothing to do with the United States or Russia. What are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, I think that's nonsense as far as having nothing to do with the U.S. and Russia. Just the timing of the event following the announcement by the Sudanese government that they were going to allow Russia to create a port on the Red Sea. Uh, the CIA has been very active in Sudan. I did one of the first... Uh, times I became really aware of it was in 1993 when the French terrorist, uh, the, the Venezuelan terror, terrorist, Carlos the Jackal, as he was known, uh, he was uh, sought by the French because he'd killed some French citizens uh, and French officers. Well, the CIA picked him up in Sudan in the summer of 1993, turned him over to the French. The CIA chief of station at the time was a man by the name of Kofor Black. You may have heard of Kofor Black because he serves on the board of Burisma with Hunter Biden. Just a coincidence. Not just the government, but this rapid security force, the RSF that's there, comes out of a militia, the John Jaweed militia. militia. Uh, and I am positive that the CIA has had relationships with them over time. So it is uh, I highly probable that the United States has its hands again in creating chaos and helping stir it up. The other thing to take note, the embassy is pretty large. You have almost as many pers U.S. personnel at that embassy as you do at the U.S. embassy in Kiev. Think about that. It is you have large presence of U.S. diplomats, and a lot of them will be under CIA cover, obviously. Uh, where U.S. has decided to place its interests. Okay, now I'm going to start to tie this all together. But let me ask you before I do, do you have any questions? No. You understand what I've been saying so far, what I've presented? Do you, yeah, do you we think- are in the middle of stirring up a civil war in Sudan to try to stop the Russian base from being built. I don't even know if it's meant to it I is it going to stop it? That's a that's a question mark, but the, you know slow you, it down. Right, you know that you know the saying uh, if you break it you buy it. I think this is almost the opposite. If you can't buy it, break it. We're going to try and attach a gigantic cost to all of them for betraying us. I think is the the American playbook. Uh, all right, so let me let me to bring it together, and 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 yeah, I have to widen out again. I'll give you a little bit of extra context, but you're going to see where all the tumblers are going to fall into place. This was all avoidable. All of this was avoidable. You you notice that we again we went from under Trump. Sudan is is gravitating towards the United States. And now they are gravitating towards Russia. Well, what happened? That did it just magically happen? Did something occur that would cause that? What do you think? Are you gonna play a clip? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was asking you what you thought. <laughs> Oh, what could be no, caught? What could have caused magically that? occurred? Ma you're going with magical occurrence. Okay, here, let me 
uh... No, no, I'm saying I, I don't think anything oh. just magically occurred. Here, okay, <laughs> no, no magic occurrence. You're right. It wasn't magical occurrence. It was completely our doing. The way to have avoided all this would have been to keep Saudi Arabia an ally rather than alienating them. And do you remember when did the when did the alienation of Saudi Arabia really begin in earnest? Do you recall? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Khashoggi? Oh, yeah. Jamal Khashoggi. Okay, so I'm going to give you a tiny bit of a history lesson. This is recent history. Uh, Some people may remember all of this, but you had Mohammed bin Salman comes to power in Saudi Arabia. And the first thing he does is the first thing that any uh, dictatorship monarch does. He consolidates power. So he rounds up everyone that would be a threat to to him, and he gives them a bit of shock, shock and awe. And Khashoggi was a little bit of the shock and awe, <laughs> okay? Not to laugh about his death, but Khashoggi... Uh, well, here, I consulted uh, producer GPT about Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, Chat GPT, for people who are following along at home, is one of our producers. Uh, I asked our producer... Uh, you know, uh, tell me about the relationship between Jamal Khashoggi and Saudi Arabia. Jamal Khashoggi had a complicated relationship with Saudi with the Saudi royal family throughout his life. He was born in Medina, Saudi Arabia, in 1958, and his family had close ties to the Saudi monarchy. His grandfather was personal physician to King Abdulaziz Al Saud, the founder of Saudi Arabia. And his uncle... It's probably a good job. Right? Or scary, because if the guy <laughs> if he falls ill, you could get blamed. Uh, yeah, uh, screw up. His uncle, uh, Adnan Khashoggi, was a prominent arms dealer and a billionaire businessman with ties to the Saudi royal family. So this guy's plugged in. His name isn't Saud, but it, 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 he might as well have been. Jamal Khashoggi started his career as a journalist in the 1980s, working as a foreign correspondent for various Saudi newspapers. He eventually became the editor-in-chief of Al-Watan, a prominent Saudi newspaper, but was forced to resign in 2003 after publishing articles critical of the Saudi government. Despite his criticisms of the Saudi government, Khashoggi remained connected to the Saudi royal family throughout his life. He served as an advisor to Prince Turki Al-Fazil, Faisal, the former head of Saudi intelligence, so he's plugged into Saudi intelligence, and later worked as a media advisor for Prince Alawid bin Talal, the billionaire uh, investor and member of the royal family. So isn't this interesting? The guy exists in a crossover zone between intelligence and media. Does that sound familiar? It's like he's got his own little Project Mockingbird going on. However, in the years leading up to his death, Khashoggi became increasingly critical of the Saudi government and its leadership, including Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. He wrote a column for the Washington Post in which he criticized the Saudi government's policies and advocated for democratic reforms in the country. Khashoggi's criticism of the Saudi government ultimately led to his murder at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul in October 2018, an act that has been widely condemned by the international community. And now, uh, just as an aside, you might remember Prince Alawid bin Talal was a a guest of MBS at the Ritz-Carlton in 2017 when they converted the hotel over to a a prison stopover. 
Uh, do you remember that story? It's vaguely. Yeah. When, 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 uh, when MBS fully ascended to the throne, uh, he uh, took over the Ritz-Carlton for several months and imprisoned a bunch of Saudi billionaires and other people uh, and shook them down. I, w- I would bet some of them are dead. That's my guess. Uh, others had to give up billions. It's reported that uh, Prince Talal racked up a, a room service bill of $6 billion that the hotel insisted he paid before he could check out. And so he paid it, and then he checked out. I don't mean figuratively checked out. He's no longer at the hotel. He's still alive. So the <laughs> U.S. frowned on all of this, right? We're the, we're the country of democracy and freedom. That's what the marketing says? Yeah. The and land of the free, home of the brave. <laughs> Would have been sort nice of. to meet those people. Uh, the... In, so because of this, we started decoupling from Saudi Arabia because we couldn't stomach MBS. And how did we begin? What, what do you think was the most meaningful way we decoupled from Saudi Arabia? Well, the, the key to our relationship with Saudi Arabia this is just again, it could be a small history refrain. The relationship that we had with Saudi Arabia was that they would mandate that all oil transactions by them and by OPEC, OPEC would be conducted in dollars. That gave the US dollar global prominence because anyone that wanted to transact with any OPEC nation had to do it in dollars. It solidified the dollar as the dominant currency of the globe. It was the petrodollar, and it's what enabled us to spend like drunken sailors and never worry about it, because no matter what, there was always demand for our dollar because of the petrodollar. The, the, the other end of that contract with Saudi Arabia is that we would protect them. That's why we have five military bases in Saudi Arabia, because we gave them our only chief export which is military, bombs, killing. We do two things, and they're really quite ironic. We kill and we virtue signal. And for a very long time, we managed to hold our virtue signaling tongue. But MBS was a bridge too far, and we shifted. And this is really important because this is what people need to understand. There's two ways to go in our international policy. We can either be realists or we can be idealists. And we have in recent history chosen idealism. And I would just ask people, how's that going? How's that going for us? And now I'm going to tell you how this manifested and how what leads to Sudan. After these next two clips, you're going to understand a little bit better about the situation in Sudan. President Joe Biden announced on Thursday that the U.S. would no longer support the Saudi Arabia-led military campaign in Yemen, a six-year conflict that's been widely seen as a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. This war has to end. And to underscore our commitment, 
We are ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. That was in February of 21. Biden's move reverses policies from both the Obama and Trump administrations. Trump's policy was focused on forcing Iran back into talks over its nuclear program and maintaining close ties with Saudi Arabia, including U.S. arms sales. That was despite demands by Republican and Democratic lawmakers for an end to U.S. support for Saudi Arabia as the humanitarian crisis in Yemen worsened. So we peeled away from our commitment to Saudi Arabia that if they transacted in dollars, we would have their military interests. We would have their back. And isn't it funny that after we did that, what happens? Oh, over in Sudan, the transitional council went away, disappeared. And Sudan starts doing a deal with Russia. Huh. And remember, the reason it's connected to Yemen is... Job. And he became the president of Sudan on April 11, 2019. Now, how did Mohammed Hamdan Dagalo come into this picture? General Abidel Fatah al-Burhan in 2015 was commanding Sudanese troops in Yemen as part of Saudi-led coalition force who were fighting against the Iran-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen. It was during that time both of them worked closely. Abidel Fateh al-Burhan was part of the Sudanese army and Muhammad Hamadan Dagalo was head of the RSF. So while there was money and arms flowing in to fight against Iran in a proxy war in Yemen, these two generals were fine. But once that all stopped, once Saudi Arabia read the tea leaves, felt betrayed, turned away, and has moved towards China and is now making peace with Iran, well, there's no more war in Yemen. That's gone. And so now these two generals come home and they're fighting among themselves. And neither of them are going to come our way because we've just, we just hosed everybody. We just totally turned on a dime, reversed all of our decades-long policy. To virtue signal. Now, I'm okay with making that move, frankly. I don't have any love for the Saudis. I call them oil ticks, right? Isn't that the nickname? They're, they're, I never heard that. They're horrifying. That culture is horrifying. I'm sorry. Ours used to be better than theirs. We're, we're, ours is in decline. We're going to be there soon. Uh, so... Was, was this worth what we're going through now? And I would suggest that maybe it would have been strategically wise if we were going to jettison the old world order that we didn't first hollow ourselves out economically, hollow ourselves out manufacturing, hollow ourselves out socially, and then we're going to take these guys on face on. That's when we're going to break up the petrodollar, destroy the world order we've known and benefited from, right simultaneously while we're also attacking, essentially attacking China with Taiwan, making China uh, go to war with us. 
Last clip. One of the key tools that Saudi Arabia has used to maintain its dominance is the petrodollar. This system, which was created in the 70s, allows countries to buy oil from Saudi Arabia and other OPEC nations using only U.S. dollars. This has given the U.S. an indirect control over the global oil market, which has been a major factor in the country's economic success. But the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the U.S. has not always been smooth. Over the years, there have been escalating tensions between the two nations, particularly around issues like oil prices and military intervention. Recently, these tensions have been exacerbated by the Biden administration's decision to stop supporting Saudi Arabia's military campaign in Yemen and to cozy up to the country's archival, Iran. In response, Archival, I don't know why he said archival. It made me think it was a computer voice, but it's not a computer voice. <laughs> I don't know why he didn't know arch-rival, but archival. Saudi Arabia has been exploring new alliances, including with the BRICS nations. This move has been driven in part by the desire to diversify its economic relationships and reduce its dependence on the U.S. So we broke the contract, and now we're living with the consequences. And again, I don't have a problem with us breaking the contract. Just really wish we would have prepared for it by putting ourselves in a position of strength rather than being in a total position of weakness. It's as though our enemies devised this strategy for us. They probably did. So Sudan is directly related to Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia is directly related to the demise of American power and prominence. Now, let me ask you a question, because it's not just MBS. The relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States was on the rocks before MBS. Now, pop quiz, Jeremy, do you remember why the Saudi relationship became strained with the United States? No. Oh, let me let me let me give you nine hundred and eleven seconds to think about it. Nine <laughs> eleven. Now look, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. Who's gained the most from the strategic decoupling of the Saudi-U.S. arrangement? China. China has gained the most. And think about it. If you believe, Jeremy, that the CCP has been covertly at war with the U.S. since at least, say, the 80s, be conservative. As a result of our Taiwan policies, then it's logical to assume that a huge goal for them would be to destroy U.S. strength by destroying the U.S. economy. And there are several ways to do that. You weaken us with debt, you know, hollow out our manufacturing, and then destroy the U.S.-Saudi alliance, which pegs the dollar, which keeps the dollar in prominence. That would be a key, a key thing, a key goal. So and do you think China was responsible for 9-11? I think it is absolutely something we need to consider. And China's been involved with all these Islamists, too. I have a clip that I didn't What would that up. do to all the inside job theories? Uh, I think that there is still, it's still 
well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the inside job theory. Um, I think that there definitely were parts. Let's put it this way. I think that there are parts of our of our intelligence community that are 100% sympathetic to China. And there's probably parts of our system that feel like we need to be getting away from Saudi Arabia anyway, that this is going to be a painful transition, but this needs to happen. Or that we deserve this for our relationship, our our tainted, bloody, Faustian devil relationship with the Saudi royal family. I don't know, Jeremy. I don't really know. I do know that the Chinese have definitely got connections with jihadists, which is amazing to me considering that they basically are running concentration camps for the Uyghur Muslims. Arab Muslims must give no uh, toots whatsoever about other Muslims. Because they well, they must be problem. a different, it must be like a Shia Sunni thing or whatever. I don't think that divides as big as people say. I mean, it's definitely there, but those guys, Sunni and Shia will come together every time to fight the external infidel. And here you have the ultimate infidel of a communist China subjugating Muslims. And that is how much MBS hates the United States. That he is more willing, because... Think about it. He just gets business deals with China. All he has to do is not be an idealist. Just be a realist. If he's a realist, he puts up with China, he puts up with their faults, and he makes a tremendous amount of money doing it and makes his country incredibly powerful. And America needs to decide, what do we want to be? Do we want to keep being idealists? Or do we want to go back to being realists? And again, I would love to have made the transition to idealism, just maybe not when we after we've hollowed out everything. But yes, I think 9-11 required, I've always thought 9-11 had to have state sponsorship. There's no way that they moved around, had that level of conspiracy, had access to what they had access to without state sponsorship. And we always assumed that it was Iraq. I think Iraq was just, they were renting Iraq. They rented it for training. And and Osama bin, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Saddam Hussein was so weak by that point that he had no choice but to do whatever the people around him wanted him to do because he was, he was feeding the crocodiles before they ate him. And they did eat him anyway. So yes, I think that's I think that's what's going on in Sudan. Was that clear? Did I did I make it too muddy there at the end? I I, uh, I go down the rabbit hole, but I uh, hopefully it, it tied together nicely. Hopefully it tied the room together. Sounds like you're saying that the Sudanese civil war is caused by China leading the 9/11 attacks against us. Correct. yeah no i think that china has been working to wedge between the united states and saudi arabia because they stood the most to gain from that decoupling they wanted to defeat the united states doing that required unseating the dollar the way you do that is you put the wedge between the united states and saudi arabia the way we started now well, now they're abandoning our dollar, right? They're abandoning our dollar. We have uh, abandoned the 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 security of Saudi Arabia. Those five bases that we have there, I hope China likes the way they were built because those are all going to be Chinese bases soon enough, unless something very dramatic changes. 
Well, they paid for that with our tax money. Can we stop the Chinese from taking it? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a mess. So which side are we supposed to be on? That's the problem. There is no side. Both sides in that civil war are not with us. We no longer... Ukraine. We have to be on... Which side is Ukraine on? Uh, Ukraine is on the side of the Janjaweed because they don't like Russia. Are they? They they wouldn't want the Russian... They wouldn't want the Russian base. But here's the well, thing. The Janjaweed are not going to turn towards America if they win the Civil War. They're going to do the Russian base, too. This is not about an ideological difference about going with Russia versus the United States. The United States is done. They've all read the tea leaves. They've all read the writing on the wall. That's why they're making are the deal saying, with Russia. Are you saying that we shouldn't support the same side as Ukraine? Because if you're saying that... <laughs> I'm saying Ukraine is then as, you're is as a sideless as Nazi. we are. We have no side. That's the, <laughs> why the only thing we could do was, in case of, of emergency, break country. We broke the country. Now, uh, not uh, related, but uh, connected insofar as this is a World War III update. And I'm going to finish it off with Iran. I'm shifting gears. Iran. They seized an oil tanker. Did you hear that news? I did. Yeah, so here's here's a brief clip on it. I don't have a lot on this, but this is this is part of the update and it's worth it's worthwhile and it and it connects back to China. Thursday, Iran seized a US bound oil tanker. Now the Suez tanker, a Marshall Islands flagged vessel, was contracted by Chevron to deliver oil to Texas from Kuwait, where it was last docked. The ship has a crew of 24 members, all of whom are Indian. The U.S. Navy says that this is at least the fifth vessel taken by Iran in just two years. Fifth in two years. Did you know that? That's not such a, that's not such a bad record, is it? That's amazing. How long do you think it'll be for the sixth? They've, they clearly are not uh, learning their lesson from all of our repercussions we've been giving them. Here's a, a clip I found from What Is Going On With Shipping on YouTube. That's the YouTube channel. It's called What Is Going On With Shipping. These guys understand shipping. All right. Where this gets a little bit interesting here is the fact that the owner of the vessel is this outfit, the Shanghai Pudong Development Bank, SPDB. This is a bank located in China. It is a Chinese bank that owns the vessel. So you have seized a vessel that has cargo from Chevron, a U.S. company, and you have a ownership of this company that is basically the owner of the company is is a Chinese bank. Uh, that may cause some issues. I'm not sure how China is going to react. It would be interesting to see how fast diplomatic pressure is exerted by China against Iran to release the vessel. I don't think the U.S. is going to have much leverage. China may. And then... (laughs) Gee, why is that? Why don't we have any leverage? Because we're idiots. This is Viking, the shipping firm that oversees the the vessel. So 
A little bit of background on this. Again, you don't get a lot of this from the mainstream media. They don't have the time to go in depth, but I thought I'd give you a little bit of background on the ownership and where the ship's going. Ship was in route from, uh, was coming from Kuwait, heading to Houston, Texas, which sounds weird, but a lot of oil is shipped into Texas for refineries because you need the right type of oil in our refineries. And the problem is we have not built refineries largely since 1977. And so we literally have the case where in Houston, Texas, Ships loaded with oil are sailing out, while ships loaded with oil are sailing in. And if that doesn't sound idiotic, I don't know what is, because it is absolutely stupid. But this is the problem we have. We are not building refineries. We can't refine the right oil in this country, and therefore we have to export oil and import oil, even though we have enough oil. That's the crazy energy policy we have, and shipping policy. We are geniuses. It's clear that there yeah, is a that guy isn't taking anything about the environment into consideration <laughs> right. what he says uh we, we, somewhere in our government we have absolutely made the decision to scuttle the petrodollar it's clear when you look at we're exporting and importing oil we don't build any oil refineries and th- part of that's just snobbishness snobbish elitism Environmental snobbish elitism. We don't want the icky refineries and dirty manufacturing in our backyard. So let's go put it in Asia and Latin America and Africa because nobody cares about those dirty people anyway. We're nuts. So last clip. This comes from... Uh, Zion on geopolitics. And I clipped this because it's just kooky. I don't know. Tell me what you think of this guy's take. Everyone, Peter Zion coming to you from Colorado. The news uh, that just came out is that the Iranians have snagged another tanker, uh, a vessel called the Advantage Suite, which is a Suez Max uh, oil tanker. Uh, which means it probably is carrying about 800,000 barrels of crude. Uh, The U.S. Navy has issued a press release basically saying, bad Iran, very, very bad Iran. And that's it. Um, This is your periodic reminder that when it comes to international energy markets, the U.S. just doesn't care anymore. Uh, And if somebody wants to deal with Iran seizing tankers, then they will have to do it without the United States. Uh, This is a big change, of course, in most people's perceptions, especially compared to the policy sets that we have seen in the United States for the last several decades. But remember why those policy sets have existed. It's not that the United States imports a lot of oil from the Middle East. It doesn't. It really never has. But it's out. Wait, okay. What? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure the United States has imported oil for quite some time. Remember the oil shock in the 1970s? I mean, if we aren't importing oil, why are we at the mercy of the price of oil set by OPEC? Do you import oil, Jeremy? I buy imported oil. (laughs) Oil from the Middle East. It doesn't. It really never has. But its allies do. And the entire basis of the American post-World War II global environment was that we will fight wars to protect resource flows and product flows so that you will sublimate your military needs to us. Basically, we will fight your economic war so you don't have to, and that gives us a free hand in control of your militaries in case of a confrontation with the Soviet Union. 
The Russians may be coming back in a big way, but they are not the Soviets and they do not have a global position. And so the United States, bit by bit, under Obama, under Biden, under Trump, have all basically steadily reduced the American commitment to the maritime order that allows global trade and global energy markets to work. And so this advantage suite, this tanker that's been gone, the U.S. really doesn't care. But if you're China, this is a problem because the entire existence of the Chinese economy and its strategic position is based on the idea that the United States, no matter what else happens, no matter what the Chinese do, no matter how much military action China carries out, that the Americans will still uphold civilian freedom of the seas. And as we've seen today, again, the U.S. has no interest in that anymore. So next time we do get a meaningful interruption to international energy flows, the United States basically closes its borders to energy trade. It's self-sufficient within North America. And the Chinese are at the very end of a very long supply line that they have no hope of protecting. And that means they'll deindustrialize. And that means it's the end of China's unified nation state. And of course, if you've been following me for a while, you know that that's only one of the many reasons why the Chinese are going to end this decade. <laughs> All right. I like, I, I want to live where he's, where he is. <laughs> That's a very optimistic take. And I like the idea of one of the things that I do think about when I, when I see China making these moves to with Belt and Road and, and, and forging all these relationships with all of these countries, part of me does think, hey, good luck to you. Enjoy. They're a pleasure. Again, I just wish we were doing that with a strong hand. We're not. We're doing it with a very weak hand. But this guy thinks that our hand is not as weak as China's, which will be gone in 10 years, although we might be gone in three. So I don't know. He seems maybe a bit too optimistic to me. I, I, uh, if we're not importing oil, that's news to me. Uh, so that seemed off. Anyway. Yeah, I thought, we, I thought we're always importing oil. Right. All right. Well, that is the end of my World War Three update. Money, wow. Money, money, and that brings us to the point in the show where we tell you how we conduct business here at the Truth Bait Podcast. Jeremy, I don't know if you're aware, but we do not take any corporate sponsorship. Did you know that? I'm aware. <laughs> You're painfully aware? No, we do not take corporate sponsorship. <laughs> we have citizen sponsorship. And the way that this works is we don't take any money from corporations because we want to be able to tell the truth. This is the Truth Bait Podcast. We have to bring you the truth. And that requires, like I said, no corporate sponsorship. We are building a community of like-minded citizen journalists, citizen sponsors and citizen journalists, sure, citizen sponsors, active listeners producers of this podcast. And that's how this works. If you're a listener to this podcast, you can be an active listener, which can make you a producer of this podcast. And we have producers to thank uh, for this podcast because people have been taking part in the in one of the three ways to give back, time, talent, or treasure. And the time component has been paying off in spades, Jeremy. We had multiple people contribute uh, to the segments that you just heard, we had Big DNAZ who gave us that that uh, first clip of RFK Jr. Uh, then we had a, a you know a, a good piece of that uh, Sudan information. 
was informed by the uh, content that was sent to me from Janice in Arizona. Uh, these are, uh, oh, and we had the, the tweet that came in from uh, our executive producer, Ann, in Wisconsin. Uh, th- these people have been really giving back to the program and in a way that I hope benefits them even further because they're hearing the content that they're sending us. They're hearing it played. They are hearing us talk about it and hopefully we're all learning together. Uh, but that is incredibly important. I, like I said, I was buried under Sudan content and it was, uh, I was struggling to try and understand it. The, the content that Janice sent me was perfect timing. It was serendipitous. Uh, and, and, the tumblers began to click into place, and I realized the, the story that, that was shaping up, the narrative that was presenting itself. Uh, I could not have done that without you, the listeners. And so the active listeners, our producers. So that is, uh, it's incredibly important, and that is the way that it is done here at the Truth Bait Podcast. Please write us, truth at truthbait.com, truth at truthbait.com. And the other big thing that you can do for us, please go to Apple Podcasts, uh, where you can leave a comment for us. There was a little bit of confusion about uh, how to leave a comment, Jeremy. I don't know if you've encountered any of this before, but uh, I had somebody reach out who said that they didn't know how to leave a comment. And I uh, I told them, if you go to uh, the main show page for the Truth Bay Podcast, and then you scroll down uh, in your Apple Podcast player, you will see there's a link for write a review and we uh, we now have a we have a new review actually, Jeremy. We got a new one in uh, since last uh, since Tuesday. Oh, really? Yes, it, it's great. You want me to? Re- I'm going to read it to you. Yeah. Andrew and Jeremy break down the propaganda flowing through the news in a way that makes it fun, but also makes you feel equipped to navigate this weird era we're in. They also give us some needed wisdom related to the corruption of not just the left but the controlled opposition right, GOP. I love hearing their stories from the field, covering the underbelly of American cities when most had no idea what the left was raising up in terms of a new generation of Marxists. Their first-person accounts of the decay of our cities and true face of the threat to America is important for all Americans to hear and to know so that they have a chance of fighting back. Can't find their type of analysis anywhere else. Thanks for doing it. That's from Laughing Squirrel Ha Ha. <laughs> their name. I love the name. <laughs> Laughing Squirrel Ha Ha. Thank you very much. That is an amazing comment. Yeah, looks like Laughing Squirrel's falling for it. <laughs> Laughing Squirrel set the bar pretty high for our other <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, and we now have nine ratings. That's uh, great. Five out of five. So uh, thank you for responding to that. That is an excellent way to give back. Uh, to the show if you don't have time to surf for things you're not that kind of person that's not the kind of way that you can give back uh, that's fine a great way to give back is to go rate the show leave a comment that's very helpful for us uh, I think it's helpful in the algorithms and the biggest thing is sharing the show yes which uh, I know that uh, didn't didn't uh, producer mama bear she put out a big share of the show this week. She did. She sent it I around to her mailing list. She sent it around to her entire mailing list, which means everyone else, copy Mama Bear. Send it around to your entire mailing list. 
What was her? Just start spamming people. Let's uh, let's tell people what her email said so that people can. I think she said we need to be careful or something yeah. because we're talking about too much truth. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, yeah. What was it? Um, hang on, I'm looking for it now. Oh yeah. These guys better be careful. They are really spewing truth. And then a link to the uh, uh, which one? It was a link to Fox and Friends. Episode 19. Two That'd be a great. Ago. We could give that. We should give that name to people who share the show. They, we could call them truth spewers. <laughs> yes. I like that. Very good. Be a truth spewer. <laughs> be a truth spewer. It doesn't fall. Us. It doesn't just like roll off the tongue, but <laughs> it doesn't sound very good, but it's, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need t-shirts. <laughs> All right. Somebody yeah. with talent, please design a t-shirt for us. <laughs> truth spewer. I'm a truth spewer. I'm a truth spewer. I'm a truth spewer. I like with it. Truth bait podcast. Yeah, it's good. Uh, we also got a uh, an email from Mama Bev. Uh she says, listening to Fox and Friends, excellent show, three exclamation marks. Thank you very much. You guys are funny. Jeremy is awake. He has a lot of kids and animals, but no excuse. Chop, chop. Interesting conversation between you two, getting a good rhythm and tempo. I'm with you, Andrew, on Epps. I know what I saw him do on video. So do a lot of people. You are revolutionaries in a time of universal, uh, you are revolutionaries, quote, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Bravo, guys. Yeah, thank you, Mama Bear. Thank you so That's much. Great. I, I, that fills me with joy to hear that. I hope now, she said I was awake. Way. Does that mean I was awake like I'm awake, not sleeping, or that I'm like awoke? <laughs> I think, well, you know, it's been a topic of conversation among us, uh, your energy level. And let me tell you, uh, Janice in Arizona wrote in specifically to defend you, Jeremy. She says, All right. Yeah, she says, I thought you were too hard on Jeremy in the pop-up. I've been chastised. She says, I like the juxtapose of your juxtaposition of your big exuberant personality next to Jeremy's laid back mellow personality. I think it works pretty yes. well. Yes. Yeah, Janice do, gets me. <laughs> she says, the only thing that I would say about Jeremy is he doesn't always jump in when there's an awkward pause. Yeah, Jeremy. No, I leave it there. <laughs> I like it. Uh <laughs> The reason for that pause, just to explain to people, some of that is absolutely Jeremy just leaving me hanging, dangling out there in the wind. Uh, but most of that really is, it's a technical issue that you don't really notice on your end, uh, except in the form of this little bit of pause. Jeremy's in his studio in Wisconsin. I'm in my studio in uh, Chicago. Uh I hate to admit it. And we have, uh, he's using a Rodecaster Pro at his end. I'm using a Rodecaster Pro on my end. And we connect using a program called Clean Feed. It's a service. You should use it. If you're a podcaster, use Clean Feed. It's fantastic. However, it gives us a tiny bit of latency uh, in between our recordings. And sometimes that ends up being perceived as a gap where Jeremy 
is just leaving me hanging um, with whatever. I don't think it's whatever the stupid comment I think I've made. I, yeah. I don't think it's the technical. I no, think I leave you, you hanging sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I do. <laughs> yeah. No, sometimes I just deliberately wait because I want to. Well, sometimes I don't know if you have more to say. Do you know what? Do you want to know something, Mr. Marcus? You know where I learned <laughs> I'm just that leaving from? you hanging there. <laughs> Go ahead. What? <laughs> I learned it by watching you, man. <laughs> Do I leave you hanging? Have I left when you hanging? I was a young and up and coming viral video producer on YouTube, and I would interview people, and you would critique my work, and you said to me one time, "Don't ever forget to don't interrupt people." You said, "Let them ask your question, let them answer, and then wait." <laughs> right. because and then the information that spews out of their mouth at you onto your spewing. camera becomes video gold <laughs> i don't like though that you're using this technique on and me now i'm trying to get <laughs> podcast gold out of you well but uh thank you janice yeah janice gets me she likes my laid back approach and style i guess right and sometimes i'm a little grumpy do you know when i was 20 years old my nickname was old man seagull <laughs> that's correct it was when i was 20 <laughs> you know what's funny about that is that Skype. that was your nickname before i ever met you and then we resurrected that nickname unbeknown i didn't know that that was your previous nickname <laughs> we started calling you old man old man seagull <laughs> Yeah, when I was in real estate and there was this really funny guy in the office and one day he looked at me and he's like, man, why is Jeremy so bitter? He's like bitter old man Siegel. He's going to be the kid that he's going to be the guy that the kids kick the ball over the fence and he stands there and goes, I'm keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I was that grumpy. I think that's the move. Anyway. Keep but, that uh, ball. Yeah. So, uh, well, like there you go. That is the... I think that's the ask. Listen every Tuesday and Friday. Write us at truth at truthbait.com. The Truthbait Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. What you got? You got something, so, don't you? Well, I do, but we're an hour thirty eight. Do you want to do it now? Do you want to do it I, as a pop-up? What think, do you want to do? We have time to do it now I if you don't want think to. I can. I don't think I can fit it all in is the problem. We're going to end up having a three-hour episode. Ah. Do you want to do a pop-up? Do you want to do a pop-up of that of, of your segment? What's your segment? It, the segment is Christian nationalism. And it's an important segment. And, yeah, I think we should do it as a pop-up. And, and as a part of our pop-up experimentation with the audience which needs to give us feedback on if they like having pop-ups or not. Should we do, you know, sort of this two... It seems like we've been kind of settling in on a two-hour show, Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, but then this week we did our first pop-up episode that was just a little over an hour, and that was just kind of adding in some of the 
content we hadn't gotten to yet. Uh, but is it is it valuable for us to do pop-ups? Looks like a lot of people listened to the pop-up. Uh, but I think would people prefer that we stick in sort of the two-hour uh, format that we've had going, or are pop-ups a good idea? So I think maybe we should try another pop-up. Okay. And because because it's too, I have too much. There's no way I can fit it in 20 minutes here. And I think it'd and be I good to devote pretty, a whole devote a whole site a whole show to it. Yeah, well, it's it's important stuff. It's basically is it I based mean, on a particular a, story a, that happened, or is it you want to get into the well? Topic if itself? you look, if you yeah, if you start looking around on Twitter now and 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 in the you know the in the media, the narrative attacks are starting to come at everybody as Christian nationalist, and so I want to get into that where it came from and how to deal with it because a lot of people are starting to chime in on it and uh, I think there's a lot of people making some serious mistakes so uh, yeah I think it's better if we try to do a pop-up with it all right well let's let's do that and then we have a tiny bit of extra time then uh, for this episode and I have I have a couple of short clips if you want to I can I can play these and they'll be they'll be they're lighter they're let's do Yep, let's do that instead, okay. and then we'll do a pop-up on Christian nationalism, which everybody definitely is going to want to tune into, uh, because it's 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 going to be a huge uh, mass line narrative coming our way. Yeah, you can see it. You can definitely see that coming. I've already heard the term Christian nationalism being bandied around uh, as a pejorative. Well, you are a Christian. You are Am a I? Christian nationalist. How did I, did, how did I yep. qualify? Do you like America? I do. I used to. Do you? I like our constitution. I like our constitution. Do you I love our constitution? I am not very fond okay. of this are culture. You, are you a patriot? I am a patriot of our constitution. Okay, you're a white. You're a white Christian nationalist. Well, there you go. I didn't even know I'd signed That's up, but there you be. go. <laughs> all yep. right. That's all you need to be. Do I get a uniform? Is there a secret handshake? Do a decoder ring? Something. It's going to be painted all over you. <laughs> a special so, symbol. I'm going to be able to wear. So get my... used to it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, so I'll play this. This is uh, a clip I had from, uh, let's see, it's uh, Congressman Troy Nell's uh, putting uh, Swalwell in his place. This is from the House Judiciary Committee. They're holding a hearing on exploitation of unaccompanied, unaccompanied alien children, and Swalwell decides to attack one of the witnesses, and he gets absolutely dragged for it. Here we go. Uh, oh, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Da, 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 da. I hadn't fully prepped this yet, so I'm just vamping extremely briefly while I get ready to play the clip in its most proper form. Okay, there you go. Ms. Rodriguez, were you at the Capitol on January 6th? Was I at the Capitol? Yes. Uh, no, sir. I was on the premises outside of a reflection pond waving a flag. So you were on the Capitol grounds? I'm not sure if that's technically Capitol Grounds. I was near the street. Is this your tweet right behind me at 3.05 on January 6th? 
2021? I, I really do not know. Okay. Are, you, I, I can... are you at Secure Border TX? Yes, sir. Okay. Can you see that picture? I, I can. Mm -hmm. Did you go any farther than where you were in that picture? No, sir. Did you ever cross any police barricades on January 6th? Not that I'm aware of. Did you ever see any violence on January 6th? No, I did not. I did see a red flare go up. I don't remember the time, but that was about it. I did not encounter any violence. And you can actually tell that from her photograph. She's on the opposite side of the Capitol of where everybody was uh, storming the Capitol. As a matter of fact, it was quite peaceful. Uh, I was involved in some prayers the day before. So January 6th, over 150 officers were injured. One lost an eye, one lost a finger, one lost a life. But you didn't see any violence? No, sir, I did not. That was not my experience. You agree, though, that violence against police officers took place that day? Sir, I'm not quite sure what this has to do with the exploitation of children like the young girl who wore this band. Sure. I, I guess, you know, you were called, you publicly tweeted this, the majority knew that you were on the Capitol grounds on January 6th. And so, you know, your credibility is just as every witness, including the Democratic witness, is fair grounds for questioning. And... As it relates to January 6th, you also posted a tweet that encouraged people to attend that day and, quote, fight for Trump. Do you remember writing on January 1, 2021, imagine over a million patriots screaming, fight for Trump. Think Congress and the Supreme Court will hear us. When you say fight for Trump and then there was actually fighting, physical fighting on behalf of Trump, you tweeted regularly throughout the days leading up to January 6th, you asked people to fight for Trump, and then you took a picture of yourself near the Capitol. So I just want to know, when you say fight for Trump, and people ultimately fought for Trump, do you regret those words? Uh, Ms. Rodriguez, I apologize that you had to. You're here for a hearing on the border. They don't want to talk about a border. Uh, Mr. Swalwell is down there. Obviously, everybody knows he's made some comments. He's got a, a checkered past. He's alleged I'm sorry, relationships. I'm sorry, checkered past. Uh, alleged, I would ask. Uh, it's my time. Mr. Alleged affairs, relationships past. with No, 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 no. Yum, yum. You don't get to say that shit. That's he, not he true. He had alleged relationships and with Yum Yum. I asked the, gen uh, ask the gentleman's <laughs> words to be taken down. You don't get to say that, pal. I asked the gentleman's words to be taken down. He's casting a slur on another member. I am here. He's making. Mr. Chairman, I ask that the words of the gentleman be taken down as a... As, um, uh, as, as expressing a slur on another member. This is great. And the specific words were? <laughs> he mentioned that Mr. Swalwell had a checkered past. I, I don't have the rest of the exact words, but it was, it was a direct slur on a member of this committee. That is not acceptable. <laughs> yum, yum. I love that the chairman <laughs> tried to get them to repeat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Swalwell is such a schmuck. The uh, just that one note about how you, you use the word fight in your tweet, and then there was violence. <laughs> uh, I just went to his Twitter account and did a really quick search. Uh, this guy's got word, the word fight all over his thing. Uh, here's just one I woke up ready to fight today. Did you? Let's do this. Hashtag Roe v. Wade. Is he responsible for yeah, all the violence surrounding Roe v. Wade? Yeah. Did you know that the people in hospitals right now fighting for their life are actually threatening to kill all the doctors? 
<laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> All the people fighting for change. Well, uh, here's I'm just gonna play this. Yeah, this is one last. He's a great champ. Oh, he's a real champ. <laughs> we don't need, look. Yeah. We don't need to analyze the guy. I just loved the. <laughs> it was a great drink. Yum yum. I mean, I that's, like that. Yum I, yum. <laughs> Yeah. So great. <laughs> uh, For okay. anyone that doesn't know what that was referring to, uh, allegedly Mr. Swalwell had a some type of relationship with a Chinese female spy. Yes, it happened. Uh, you know, to that, to. To, to to credit for uh, to be accurate, most people think that that affair happened while he was sitting on the Senate Intel Committee or uh, the House Intel Committee. It did not. It happened yeah, like before that. A, it was when he was a, a romantic, or something. a romantic adulterous relationship. Right. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't matter when it happened. It definitely happened. <laughs> he's. That's weird. It seems like he's a little sensitive to it. Uh, this is the last thing I'm going to play just to. Just to get us out the door, uh, I just saw this. I haven't prepped this clip. I'm playing this off of the interwebs uh, from Not the Bee. This lady says having a microchip in your arm is the best thing ever. I put a microchip in my arm and it's the best thing ever. This chip is a powerhouse. It's got everything I need. My credit card, my ID, my medical info, and even my keys. And when it's time for groceries, you just tap your wrist and bam, transaction done. It's like magic. In a medical emergency, it can save my life. Experts can easily identify me and my medical history. I feel like a sci-fi character and I'm loving it. This amazing chip is totally free. That's right, no more digging into your pockets. And the best part, the surgery is quick. They'll give you a cookie afterwards. Wow. <laughs> it's totally <Whoa>. free. <laughs> Is that for real? Oh, yes, Jeremy. It's totally for real. Get yourself a microchip. It's the best. <laughs> it's the bomb. And the best part is the surgery is really quick and easy. That's got to be a joke. I had it installed in my shoulder because that's the toughest part of my body to hack off if somebody wanted to steal it from me. <laughs> I'm ready for the chip. Everybody, get your chip. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Are you lining up, Jeremy? <laughs> Are you going to get yours? <laughs> yeah. I guess she's probably not going to vote for Kennedy. It's perfect. It has my social credit score in it. It has my recipes and all my contacts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> well, I know what I'm going to go do this afternoon. <laughs> yeah? I'm going to get my chip. Yeah, it sounds great. Sounds excellent. Oh. Thank you, everybody. I hope this was an educational episode for you. I hope you understand Sudan you a little bit better than before. The plan for Sudan. What do you want to call this title? What do you want to call this one today? Can you come up with a title right now? That was it. The plan for Sudan. Okay. Plan for Sudan. That'll be the longest title we've had. I like it, though. You're good at coming up with the so. titles. Everybody tune in every Tuesday and Friday where we bring you the Truth Bait podcast without fail. 
to the best of our ability. I thought you were leaving me hanging there. And now sometimes more. <laughs> when sometimes there's a we're just going to pop up with more. Um, write us at truth at truthbait.com. Have an excellent weekend, everybody. And you, Jeremy, have an excellent weekend. I'm glad to hear everybody's feeling better on the men. You deserve some yeah. peace and tranquility, my friend. I don't deserve anything. I'm doing way better than I deserve. Thank the good Lord. Well, there you go. You don't deserve and better. You have <laughs> you have yourself a good weekend, Mr. Marcus. Thank you, sir. I'm going to give a special thanks again to Janice in Arizona. Janice in Arizona. Me. Uh, big DNAZ, which is also Arizona for people who are keeping score at home. Uh, great Arizona community. Mama Bev, thank you very much. And executive producer Anne, thank you very much. Very helpful. Seriously so helpful this week. And now... Share the show. Yes, share the show. Share the show with us. Prove to us you're sharing the show. Share it with us. If you share the show, tell us. Oh, and the secret word, which no one got last time. You no want to come up with it? got it the time before that. Either. Yeah, I got a new one. It's called Chainsaw. Chainsaw. All right. Secret word is Chainsaw. And now back into the sea of clickbait with you all. <laughs>